0: Rapid Listening, evidence-based cancer learning on the go, presented by EverQ Education. Hello, Rapid Listeners. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Given the current situation, we're going to be talking to today's guest via Zoom. I'm very pleased to introduce Rachel Williams, who's taken time out of her busy day to talk to us about the world of cancer genetics. Rachel Williams is a senior genetic counsellor specialising in cancer genetics. She is the network clinical lead for Southeastern Sydney Local Health District and is based at the Prince of Wales Hospital Hereditary Cancer Centre. She has more than 20 years' experience in cancer genetic counselling. Rachel has an interest in providing evidence-based information to health professionals, patients and their families to improve patient care. Rachel's research interests are in improved patient access to cancer genetic services and hereditary bowel cancer conditions. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you, Lisa. So Rachel, you're a cancer genetic counsellor, but we often hear the term cancer geneticist. Can you tell us what the difference is? Yes, there's a lot of difference in training in
1: particular. Uh, In clinic, there is a lot of crossover, but I'll start with the training. So a, a geneticist of form, usually refers to a clinical geneticist in our cancer genetic setting. And a clinical geneticist will go through a medical degree and then a specialty, usually in our area, often adult medicine, um, and then clinical genetics on top of that. We also have some geneticists who come from a paediatrics background as well. In cancer genetics, we often have people that have come from medical oncology who have got an interest in cancer genetics genetics and then make that their special interest and we benefit from them having that extra training as well. So mostly around the country we have got doctors that are coming from either of those specialties in general. So a geneticist will be able to potentially do procedures, they can make diagnoses, they will also have their ability to interpret medical information in a way that is different to a genetic counsellor. So a genetic counsellor has different training. We have currently a master's program. So it's a postgrad degree after an undergrad, often from science or medical science. A genetic counsellor is an allied health professional and as such works to complement the geneticist's role. In my area, I work in a metropolitan Uh, Hereditary Cancer Centre or Familial Cancer Centre. And the way we operate is that the genetic counsellor tends to do a lot of the um, start of the work by collecting family history, collecting relevant pathology reports, and then collaborates with the geneticists to then work out what are the best recommendations for that patient. In our centre, the doctors may be involved in the clinics but quite often it's an autonomous genetic counsellor-led clinic initially, and it may be that we then bring our doctors in when the patient's needs become more complex or understanding complex genetic results as part of all of that.
0: Okay, that, that's that's excellent. That's a lot clearer to me now, I think, and I hope for our listeners as well. So as a genetic counsellor, you kind of touched on it quite a bit there, but what does your day-to-day role involve? What would a typical day look like and what kind of patients would you be seeing?
1: That's a good question, Lisa. It does vary every day. So if I think about a day where I'm doing clinic, I would often have a half day of clinic and that we usually have a patient booking on an hourly um, schedule. So within that hour with the patient, I would be going through with them initially their family history, giving them some education about what their family history and the reason for referral might mean in a genetic sense, helping assess whether or not genetic testing might be helpful for them. And then if it's relevant, then we would go through a consent form and explore some of the psychosocial aspects of genetic counselling for that genetic test. And those type of aspects might be about what if we found a, a gene fault in a layman's term that might have caused your cancer or your family's cancer to occur. What if? What would that mean for you? It might mean, if I can use Angelina Jolly as a very famous example, and she came out about eight years ago and announced that she had a BRCA1 or BRCA1 gene fault known in her and her mother. And if we're seeing someone like Angelina who had not had cancer, it might be about what would you do with this information? Do you think you'd take surgical measures to prevent yourself or lower your risk significantly from getting cancer? Or would you prefer to adopt a screening program if one's available? So that would be what my clinic would generally look like. Following a clinic, there's things like writing up the notes. Sometimes there's following up pathology reports or other information. Sometimes a a patient might be doing some of their own homework and finding out more information about their family for us as well. If it's something like breast cancer, there are risk models that we might use to help us understand what sort of risk that person might have. And so that is often done better at the desk rather than wasting a patient's time during the consultation, depending on the model. Um, We have a database, we electronically enter a, a pedigree or the family history. There is discussions with the doctors that we work with as well. Depending on which day of the week, we also have a big team meeting as well to discuss all the clients that we have seen and are planning to see based on their referrals to work out what we think might be the best care for them and what might come about because of those risk assessments. Other things might include receiving phone calls from our patients that we've seen before and that may be 10 years ago or it might be someone we're actively seeing at the moment over a course of a couple of months. So it is a very varied role. We also attend multidisciplinary team meetings, which are in most of the major hospitals. And we contribute into the assessment of whether or not genetics might play a helpful role for that patient's uh, cancer plan and cancer treatment.
0: Well, that's a really varied role. You're right. Um, I like that you get to see the patient through all aspects though, like how you mentioned that you'll, you'll be able to see a, pa- a patient might call you again in, in 10 years, that you get that patient throughput that I think a lot, of, um, a lot of other health professionals don't where they don't get to check in again after treatment and all those kinds of things and also really interested to find out that geneticists and counsellors are part of MDTs, which makes a lot of sense because the decisions that you need to make as a result of this genetic testing seems like it really impacts um, the patient's life and their options and their outcomes.
1: Yes, Lisa, I might add to that as well as um, one of the rewarding factors for me personally is the fact that we do have that long-term involvement and we might initially, I've talked about the initial consult, but if we go ahead with genetic testing, we're involved with relaying the results. If we find a gene fault, then um, we talk about family dissemination of that information so that we can try and prevent cancer happening in other relatives. And what I liked seeing over the years and pinch myself how old I must be getting, but I can remember young people that I've met when they were probably about 20, almost 20 years ago, and now I am getting to meet their young adult children as they're coming through as well. So I can remember some of these young people as tiny babies at the time. And, you know, all of a sudden they're presenting as a young adult to me to now think about their own test.
0: Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> I never thought about it like that, but I guess, yeah, if, if it is hereditary and if genes are running in families, then of course you're going to be involved in um, the care and advice of that whole family and not just the, the one person. So another question that um, we had was, Genetics, uh, geneticists and counsellors, do you work in hospitals or is it alongside of the hospital or is it out in the community or can it be a few of these?
1: That's probably all of the above. So in around Sydney, most of the metropolitan major hospitals, the tertiary hospitals, will have a um, genetics unit attached and they will come under a variety of names. As I said, I work in a hereditary cancer centre. Um, you will hear family cancer centre or family cancer clinic, familial cancer clinic. There are also around the, I guess the country. There are also genetics units that might sit still within public health, but might not sit necessarily in the major teaching hospital. But very possibly because of space, but they sit in a close by building, maybe in another suburb. It might also be in an, another building on the campus as well even around Sydney. Um, There's also some geneticists and some genetic counsellors have also set up private practice as well so that might be something that people come across. We also have genetic counsellors who sit sometimes in community health settings and we might see this more typically in New South Wales in regional or rural settings as well.
0: Excellent and how do people come to you? Is it through a referral through their GP or will it be later on down the track?
1: So there are a variety of ways people might come to us. So if I look at our, within our hospital and I touched on the MDTs, that is often flagging uh, potential patients that if the specialist deems relevant, they will refer internally within the hospital and we've got a blend of private practice with a private hospital on the campus as well so they could come from a private stream or from within the public stream and that could be from surgery gastroenterology the breast screening area or within oncology as well Uh, we do have a lot of gp referrals as well and more typically those referrals might come about because somebody might be concerned about a family history or the GP in talking with their patient might have discovered that this person has had a cancer some time ago and something else might be happening for them or future further investigations might be revealing a potential new cancer. And so we might get a referral there. Um, As I said about the next generation coming through to me earlier, sometimes it's because the next generation have said, oh, I'm worried because my parent had this or, you know, as a, 40 year old they might say my my sibling's just been diagnosed with bowel cancer I'm worried what should I do so we get those sorts of referrals as well the other type of referral we might get is that if we have given somebody the news that there's a gene fault found that's explained why they've had their cancer we will often give them a letter that they can share with their relatives and it might be that randomly and you know, it could be an interstate family, but we've got somebody living around our area and we then get that person contacting us directly and mentioning about this particular family letter and that they're interested in genetic testing. We do then direct them to go to their GP and get a referral for that process, but it, often we might get somebody actually almost self refer or their, their family has recommended they get in contact with us.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting because I guess that means that you're seeing patients through almost all of the pathway. They might've had a diagnosis, which in retrospect, the specialists have thought that could be, that could actually be hereditary. And then right at the front, you've got people who don't have a diagnosis, but um, have a family member who might have it or, or want to investigate that. So you're kind of seeing patients along the whole pathway, I guess, almost. Yes.
1: Which would be Yes, that's true. <laughs> it can be, but I think we've got used to that as our business is normal. So I think we've just a, adapted and it's what we've trained in and it's our normal, I guess.
0: Awesome. Um. So thinking back specifically, Rachel, why did you decide to become a, a genetic counsellor who is specialising in cancer genetics?
1: That's a very good question. So I, I guess I can reveal that I came from a science background. So I came into genetic counselling a little bit later than other people might have, and um, I worked in a a corporate industry, in a chemical industry, Um, but I came to realise that that might not be my necessary calling for life in that business, and so I had soul-searched about what could I go into, and um, it was just fortuitous that I stumbled across genetic counselling, I think, and quite liked what it had to offer, in particular that it would be a dynamic area information would always be changing and it would keep me challenged and interested and always having to learn. So that appealed to me greatly. Um, In terms of why I ended up in cancer genetics, I think again, a very lucky opportunity came up when a a position arose and I was very open to that I quite liked what I'd done in my practical experience and I'm very glad that I was successful in that role and I've had a very rewarding career and you know for me this is the pinnacle of genetic counselling for me but others may differ in other areas of genetic counselling but it has certainly met um, I guess my needs of what I would like out of a career.
0: Yeah. I think um, a lot of people that we've spoken to working in um, oncology have very much said that it's something that they kind of just fell into, but then once they were in, just couldn't leave because of the feeling that they're contributing to outcomes for patients. And I agree. I think it's one of the best fields.
1: Yeah. And certainly I could add to that too. I I know when I first started in the role, I had, um, I don't come from a medical family, but I had you know, family and friends that were saying, "Oh, you're working in oncology. That must be so depressing and sad and and so on and certainly, there is that element, but I think one thing that genetics does bring is that even if somebody has a very grim prognosis, they find a little bit of hope that by understanding any genetic mechanism causing their cancer is actually going to be a lot of hope for their family in the future, and the one thing they almost universally hope for is that nobody else in their family has to go through this and so I think that has been a a very positive thing that's come out of it as well and I guess the other factor that I said that you know watching the next generation come through so I've got the I guess the luxury of having been around in the business for a while um, that brings about itself a whole other reward factor so we it's not just about one One patient, we're really dealing with sometimes kindreds, not just a family unit. So we're getting branches from all over the place as well.
0: Yeah, wow. Yeah, it sounds really rewarding as a career. So we're going to get into some nitty-gritty of some questions which might seem simple to you but definitely complex to the rest of us. What is genetic testing and what does having a genetic test actually involve?
1: So genetic testing is looking at your DNA code And what we're looking for is some major change in the code that will actually stop the instructions in the body being made. So if we think about breast cancer, we've got, say, with a a BRCA1 or a BRCA2 gene, then its role is to stop any cancer cells there as part of a pathway. So if we've got a problem in that gene, that it means it's not being able to make its instruction then that cell becomes susceptible. So what we're looking for is it could be as simple as, you know, a single um, letter change within the D, uh, in a chemical sense, um, the letter representing a chemical. So it could be a code change. It could be a large chunk of the DNA code missing. So I often use with clients the analogy of reading through a book or an instruction manual. And we're looking for a change or sections missing. Sometimes it's sections added. So. In those examples, um, we're looking for errors, and we basically bookmark that spot. So then it becomes really important for being able to do the right test for another blood relative of that person down the track. So in terms of how do we do genetic testing, it is usually done through a blood test. You will hear of being, you know, the uh, a lot of the direct to consumer tests that are out there might work off a cheek swab, sometimes a saliva sample. Um, diagnostically around most of Australia, I think that the blood testing is probably the optimal way for most people. It's not too traumatic to give a blood sample.
0: Yeah, I would agree. For Yeah, there is always that minority, though, who are absolutely petrified of needles.
1: They certainly <laughs> um, are. <laughs> yeah,
0: but I'm sure you encounter all the time. So where does genetic counselling and genetic testing fit into the cancer pathway? So we talked a little bit before about when a patient might see you and it might be way up at the start or it might be after they've already been diagnosed. Um, but when do you feel that people come to you most often and what role does cancer genetics play in their treatment options or or change their outcomes?
1: I think them if I think... Through that, I think most of the patients would come from a post-diagnosis stage. However, what is front and centre is that because we're part of the MDTs or we've got such good relationships with all of our referring specialists on campus, quite often we do get um, patients referred urgently. And for those type of scenarios, it might be, A young woman's been diagnosed with breast cancer. She might be a 35-year-old, maybe with a family history or being a young person that might not have. And that surgeon is talking to that woman about if we had a gene fault, maybe a mastectomy might be a better surgery to have as opposed to a wide local excision. So for those type of scenarios, it's almost a drop everything scenario and we need to fit that person in very rapidly. I've picked a 35-year-old, but it could be any age woman if there's concerns from the the doctor, although we don't often have a 70- or 80-year-old with a drop everything we need to know about surgery choice for an older woman.
0: Yeah, right. So it is very important, and cancer genetics plays a really big role potentially in impacting what is going to be or informing what's going to be the best treatment option. Is that always for surgery, or might it impact other treatment options and which would be the preferred if, there, if it is a hereditary cancer.
1: So another part of the treatment process might be in the setting of ovarian cancer and there are particular drugs that might be more appropriate to use for a client. So in particular, there's a drug called Olaparib, which is showing good response for those patients that actually do have a fault in one of the BRCA genes. So that's, as, as an example, there are other types of cancers where immunotherapy might be relevant. And so doctors are interested in whether or not that's a better option than maybe a, a first line chemotherapy choice they would have otherwise made.
0: Okay. Wow. That's um, great to know. And really interesting from my perspective as I, I didn't realise how much of a role um, genetics played in, in treatment options. So that's great to know. So we've talked a little bit about breast and ovarian cancer. What are some of the other common cancers where genetics may play a role?
1: So the gastrointestinal cancers, in particular bowel cancer, um, gynecological cancers also include endometrial cancer. And so we do get a number of referrals for endometrial cancer. So sometimes there might be particular syndromes that might group different cancers, which Otherwise, most people would not think of putting together. So there's a syndrome called Lynch syndrome, which can affect going from top to bottom, the stomach, the small bowel, sometimes the pancreas, the large bowel, the renal pelvis, ovarian cancer and endometrial cancer. So it's a fairly wide variety. There are some subtypes where we might see brain cancers occur there as well. There's another very rare condition called uh, li fraumeni syndrome and that can even result in children developing brain cancer and leukaemia, but we might see those cancers in older age and we might see very young women with breast cancer in their 20s as part of that. And sarcomas, which are another rare cancer type as well, might occur typically, but we do see all sorts of different cancers may come about because of that particular condition.
0: Yeah, wow, that's a lot more than I realised. Um, I think we hear a lot about um, breast, um, particularly in clinically and in the news and in the media and everything, but certainly a lot more um, that, than I had realised.
1: Yes, and we're waiting for someone like Angelina Jolly to make bowel cancer a bit more sexy. She certainly changed the landscape when she came out about the bracket genes.
0: Absolutely. I think everybody's waiting for somebody to make bowel cancer a little bit more sexy. <laughs> so we can get the um, screening Participation rates up.
1: <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> absolutely. Um, so, what about pediatric cancers? Does genetics play a big role in those?
1: It does. So, there are some genetic conditions where we would want to test children, and they might include when a child might be at risk of thyroid cancer. I touched on that Lee Fraumini syndrome, where we might see young children developing a variety of different cancers. And so Genetic testing may play a role there. There's another polyposis condition, so that's developing multiple, hundreds of polyps in the large bowel, and that condition is called FAP, or familial adenomatous polyposis, for those who'd like to know that one. So in quite often, we are usually being referred children for consideration for what we call predictive genetic testing. So that might be in the form that we don't know if the child is affected, but we know their parent has been affected. And we know with a lot of these cancer genes, there's a 50% chance of passing it on to a child. So at different time points, we often do get referred children for those types of conditions to do a blood test. And as much as the kids hate blood tests worse than adults, um, they probably hate them far less than having to go through a a colonoscopy for instance if we need to check their bowel so it's often a first easier test to do to see whether or not we do need to go the next step and and start doing some procedures on them or if it's they're at strong risk of thyroid cancer they might even need to have their thyroid removed so that we don't end up with metastatic disease for a young child
0: yeah i know that sounds like a really important role in that area working with kids So Rachel you've got the ear of all of our health professionals around Australia, Um, so is there anything that you think that health professionals can do to better support the role of cancer geneticists and cancer genetic counsellors and the important work that you do?
1: I think that just keep referring, I think that um, that genetics, I get the sense from many of the um, training doctors coming through our campus uh, that they're only starting to get a, a bit more training in their undergrad degrees and postgrad degrees. But I suspect it still has a, almost a bit of a scary factor there. Um, but I'd encourage anybody, whether they're a nurse, allied health person, if they've got clients that are coming through where it may be that as a health professional, you're in a position to be that first triage point and be able to direct concerned patient to a genetics unit that to build those connections every Q, if you're listening to this i think you're already converted but every Q is a wonderful resource we've got a, a national and i'll include new zealand representation on our cancer genetics reference committee and we've worked very hard to build up an enormous amount of protocols for the adult cancer genetics Uh, And we've got our paediatric cancer genetic protocols coming along as well. So if you have somebody diagnosed with any of these genetic conditions, there's a very good chance we have a protocol already there, but you can get in contact with us if something's missing and you think it should be in there. But we also have referral guidelines. So I'm hoping that that is very useful for people like GPs, people working in regional rural settings that might not have good access into a tertiary centre if there's a genetic centre a long, long way away. Um, But I think I can speak on behalf of all people working in genetics, whether they're a counsellor or a geneticist. We're very happy to hear from people. We'd rather hear from people than not hear from them, Um, even if it means our referral rates are going up and up and up. We'd rather be able to um, see people and hopefully spend the the public purse well in identifying those who really do need to have screening And alleviate a lot of the anxiety for those who may actually may not be needing as much screening as they've been having up until this point in time.
0: Those are really important messages and thanks for sharing them with our audience. Um, I think you've done a lot of myth-busting today and uncovered a few things that I think a lot of people don't understand about cancer genetics Is there anything else that you want to tell health professionals um, working in cancer about cancer genetics? Is there any misconceptions that you get commonly that you would like to myth bust now for us all?
1: I've probably covered most of them, Lisa, unless you can think of one more myth. I'm happy to always be contacted. I'm sure my contact details are somewhere in the EVQ site there, but Lisa, I'm sure you can pass them on for anyone who's got something they'd like to run past us. Uh, Or if you're interstate, usually most of the states have got big state-centred based genetic units, uh, with Victoria having a few. They're a bit more like New South Wales with a few few multiple sites there. get in touch with your local friendly genetics unit and um, have a chat if you've got relevant patients or extra questions.
0: Perfect. Thanks so much, Rachel. Thanks so much for joining us and shining the light on cancer genetics and helping us all understand the important work you do and how we can contribute better as health professionals.
1: You're welcome. Thank you, Lisa.
0: Is a production of the Cancer Institute New South Wales, a pillar organisation of New South Wales Health. For more information, visit cancer.nsw.gov.au.